0: Broadcasting from Cincinnati, Ohio. And
1: Phoenix, Arizona.
0: You are listening to Work Life 360.
1: This podcast is all about helping one another navigate through the noise and the clutter that's holding us back from our potential to be a healthier, successful community. Whether it's stress, head trash, time management, tips on living a healthier lifestyle, or just navigating lifelong goals, this podcast is everything work life related. I'm Rhonda.
0: And I'm Bruce. We're here to provide you with tips and tricks to help you navigate through the day-to-day mental blocks. Let's get started.
1: Gentlemen, I have the record button going. So WorkLife 360 is coming at you again here. Justin, where are do. you?
2: I'm in Birmingham, Alabama, where a couple of days ago it was 81 degrees and today it's like 55 and on Saturday, the high is gonna be 38 and possibly
0: snowing. So that's kind of a downer. <laughs> wow. Snowing in Birmingham, Alabama.
1: Is yeah. that normal for, for your neck of the woods? Uh,
2: no. I mean, we'll get a tiny bit of snow every few years. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, we'll get a decent one. Um, the the eighty degrees in
0: March is not uncommon. Mm-hmm. Um, but the snow definitely is. That's crazy. We it was eighty here on Saturday, and then uh, we got. I mean, it snowed this morning, but it was nothing to amount to anything um, but it was interesting to wake up and say oh there's snow on the deck Uh, that's didn't know that that was coming <laughs> where are you Bruce? so I'm right outside of Cincinnati Ohio um, I live in Kentucky and uh Weather here is, we we get all four seasons, and sometimes we get all four seasons in the same day. Um, It's a lot of fun. Um,
1: Can't complain, obviously. Our chill here is, I don't know, lows of 50, but we too. Front's coming through, getting some snow in Flagstaff this weekend, and definitely seeing some changes here. My next-door neighbor is a horticulturalist, and she's lived in Arizona all of her life. She's about to retire, and she says the weather has changed so much in this state, not just because of potentially climate change, but because us folks that came from other areas in the states that have migrated here. We brought with us certain plants or grass and, and different things that are not native to Arizona, and it's changed the ozone layer so much that where it used to be a very healthy state, for folks to live if they had different ailments, such as myself, which is why I moved here. Um, it's not the case now. So we are up in one of the, I think, top five states with pollutant issues. Oh, um, yeah, so that's kind of disheartening, you know, and overpopulated as well, so.
2: But, um, so, but you're down in the Phoenix area, correct? Yes.
1: Right. I'm actually in North Phoenix, so I'm on the, outer parts of the city so when i go running on the weekends there's a lot of desert surrounding me looking my husband and i went he had to get some blood work done actually justin for for his position he's heavy highway construction so he was doing his annual blood test and we were looking at some of the the photographs in this old building from like the 1930s, and just to see the difference in the, the state and how much it's developed over there. Oh,
2: yeah. Well, it's, Phoenix is now the fifth biggest city in the country, mm-hmm. right? Yep. yep.
1: So he's got plenty of work because everybody seems <laughs> to keep moving here, particularly from California. But, uh,
0: right. well, and you guys, so you guys I, just I grew up the, and, uh... Oh, go ahead, Bruce. Well, oh, I was gonna say, you guys just had the the Phoenix Open not too long ago. Yes. Um, was that near you?
1: Yes, a lot of our team actually attended that. Yeah, it's right around Gosh. the corner here because our office is in Scottsdale, which is where it was hosted. So lots of traffic. Right.
0: Yeah, I coach a guy. His uh, his daughter's daycare is two blocks from that golf course, mm. and he said it was a mess. Trying to get to pick up and, and drop off on time, and just the amount of people that were Disruption. there. And, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And next year <laughs> it's going to be even worse because there's what the Super Bowl, the waste management, mm-hmm. and spring training all, like, the same all within the same time. Yep. Pretty, pretty, pretty. <laughs> yeah.
1: Justin, we She's really not... wanted to have you on, not only to talk about Ergo Science and all the wonderful services you provide particularly when it comes to physical abilities testing and early intervention mm-hmm. programs that your company offers and ergonomic assessments and training. And really learn more about is talking to companies about the importance of a job demands analysis and how you communicate how best you can support the workforce to prevent injuries and also hire folks with The idea of risk reduction in mind and and then how you showcase best practices for driver's health i understand you have a a whole program for drivers wellness um, and different folks in different professions and kind of share some of the trends you're seeing since covid i'm really really interested in that because now maybe some folks and maybe they're re-entering the workspace or just the changes you're seeing and how best you help support a healthy workforce.
2: Well, that's a pretty long list of things that you want to discuss. How much time do we have to do? <laughs> yeah. We have to talk really fast.
1: Are your top points you think are important to communicate to transportation logistics Industry, even brokers, and those long right. hours where we're seated don't understand the long-term ramifications.
2: Uh, I mean, it's it's all part of a really big package, right? I mean, it, it's hard to separate one part out from the rest of it. But so I've I've worked for Ergo Science for just over three years now. But my whole career as a physical therapist, I, I got mm. thrown into the work comp world almost immediately, just because of where that clinic was located. We were, we were set up next to a Goodyear tire factory, so the majority of our patients came from Goodyear. Um, and even preceding that, you know, when I was growing up, I, I worked in construction. Um, I was actually, I worked for a, a very large paving company in Las Vegas because it was the same way we were always building in Las Vegas. It was expanding mm-hmm. so quickly, always laying pipe, always, you know, laying down new roads. So I had a background in industrial stuff anyway and then when it came to physical therapy i just found that i i communicated with that population very easily i knew what they were talking about and where they were coming from and the kinds of injuries that you could get so it was an easy fit um and then like i said about three years ago the owner of ergo science contacted me um, looking for somebody who had a clinical background but also had some some leadership experience that could you know help her take some of the load off with the with the company that she was running. So basically what what we do here, kind of the the, the quick and dirty story, like you mentioned before, the, the first thing that we start off with is We go out to different companies, or typically they contact us and say, look, we're having a lot of injuries with either this specific job or maybe this whole plant. We have a lot of injuries, or maybe across the board in all of their plants, Mm -hmm. they have high injuries, and they'll describe to us what's going on, where they're seeing these injuries, um, and if we feel like there's an opportunity for us to help them, and typically that's going to be if the injuries they're experiencing are slips trips and falls or strains and sprains those are things we can do something about you know if they're having lots of motor vehicle accidents or lacerations or struck buys, i can't really do much to prevent those from happening but the mm-hmm. slips, trips, and falls and the strains and sprains we can do something about that and i don't, I don't know if you got the job demands analysis thing from the blog that we posted today mm-hmm. but that really is the bedrock of being able to have a legally defensible testing program you have to know like what are your people doing on the job site how do we test these people how do we um, set up things to simulate what they're doing and so kind of step one is to we, we have a job analyst that works for a company and he goes out um, he'll observe people doing their job so we what we what we try to communicate to the company is we want to find somebody that works for you that's been doing you know this specific job successfully that does it really well, and we want to follow that person around, observe what they do, and from you know from those observations, we're looking at how often do they do things, what's the heaviest or more most forceful thing they have to do, how repetitious is this job, um, so we we get all the information that we can and we do that for as many jobs as they need analyzed, we take that information back, and from all of that observation for each job, we'll, we'll pick out you know four or five tasks that are the most physically demanding tasks. And basically the idea is if, if a candidate for this job can come in and he can do this test that simulates these four or five most physically demanding things, then he should be fine on the work site. Mm-hmm. If you bring somebody in and they do this test and they're unable to do it safely, then that's somebody that you definitely don't want on your job site because they're a risk to themselves and they're potentially a risk to somebody else. Um, And it's not just to protect the company, but it's also to protect the the potential candidate. Um, There's research out there that shows that if if someone is injured on the job, even if they're successfully rehabbed, so say somebody hurts their back on the job, they go through successful rehab and they go back to the, that same job, their earning potential for the next 15 years is decreased by 10% compared to somebody who doesn't get injured in the first place. So it's not just like we're, we're protecting the company from you know paying for injuries or getting sued or something like that, but we're also protecting the individual from decreasing their ability to you know have gainful employment for them and their family. Um, so that's kind of, that's the basis of all this. We go in, we do the observations, we we put together these tests that directly simulate what someone has to do, and then it's up to the company to make sure that they are, you know, anybody who applies for that job has to go through that same test. They, they have to be consistent mm-hmm. across the board to protect everybody. Um, and then we just kind of, as, as time goes by, we, study the changes that take place with that company. So we analyze data on a year to year basis. So once somebody is, is partnering with us, we'll look at their data, you know, pre-testing. So we'll look at two or three years before they started testing mm-hmm. versus the time after they begin testing because we wanna know, is this really working? Are we cutting down on your injuries? Are we, mm. you know, are, are people safer on the job site? Because, you know, we're, we're finding out ahead of time that this person is not able to, you know, they don't have the physical fitness to do this job.
1: Mm. Do you assess or do you have someone that maybe looks at psychological variables in terms of how mentally fit they are on the job, how engaged they are? um, We do not
2: have that. And I know you and I have had this discussion before, Rhonda, that that the two go completely hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Like you cannot have poor physical fitness on the job and have somebody who is doing well mentally with that job. If you're constantly afraid that you're gonna get hurt or you hate the job because it's literally too hard for you, you are not in a good mental state. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. If, you, if you've been injured before on the job, everybody, and you know, part of what we talk about with companies is that when someone gets injured, you have the direct costs, which are, you know, you're paying the medical bills, stuff like that, but the indirect costs are decreased productivity. But what, one of the biggies Is morale morale on the job site? And if you've had multiple injuries in a site, everybody else on that job site is looking around, going, "Am I next? Am I the next one who's going to get hurt here? Am I going to be out of work?" So we we don't have any type of assessment for mental fitness, um, but a lot of the companies, some of the more proactive companies that we work with, they do have people on staff that are there, you know alongside the OCH Health nurse, they have somebody who is there to be able to address some of these other things like, Mm -hmm. do you feel good at work? Are you happy here? Are things going well here? Do you feel like this is a good environment for you? Uh, Because an unhappy workforce is also a workforce that doesn't produce well for you.
1: I asked that question because someone recently during COVID, well, first of all, my husband is in the heavy highway construction and he's laying the pipes on the heavy machinery. Um, And during COVID, it was interesting, they finally started having these meetings in the morning with the general contractor, all the subgroups involved, having these little meetings, you know, talking about COVID and safety measures and social distancing and what have you, because they worked throughout the pandemic, he was fortunate enough. But what also transpired was they started actually prioritizing things like stretching, wearing the seat belts in the machines, doing safety checks on the machines themselves, making sure they have the hard hats on, making sure they're covering their faces with masks, particularly dealing with all the dust. So there was a little bit of resistance there, but then it became more of a norm. But there were still some folks that didn't really take to heart the fact that these measures were in place to protect their safety their health and well-being which in turn impacts their families right, right. so there were some folks something as simple as not putting their seat belts on when they're working and there was a gentleman that didn't put his seatbelt on and I don't know all the lingo but the shocks or whatever in the machine because it was so old were really off so he was bouncing up and down and unfortunately he hit his head caused paralysis and oh
2: my gosh
1: three months later he died and oh my gosh! like someone my husband worked with on a daily basis and a truck that my husband's been in. So for me, yeah, the seatbelt's there. But why is the employee not following through with right. OSHA protocol or company right. policy? So me on the outside looking in, you know, I don't think that everyone necessarily is mindful of the fact that, like these measures for the two seconds that it takes to put that seatbelt on. They're, they're long-term ramifications and just getting employee buy-in, I would say, to make sure they're following all the steps that maybe your company recommends to an organization for their safety and well-being. So you know, tracking that some way is really important. And then once you maybe notice, Justin, like people aren't following, you know, certain protocol that you've established for the company through your pre-testing, your data analysis on the job itself. So do you track that kind of information? And then maybe that's where that psychological part comes in. Like, okay, how can we best communicate to the workers? Okay, it really does matter that you mask or you do X, Y, or Z.
2: Right, so with with our data... It really, and it, it comes down to the same thing with any company and, you know, we we see cutesy little posts about it on LinkedIn frequently, stuff like, you know, safety is not a priority, it's a culture. Little mm. things like that. But it really is the truth and so you, you take an example like you just shared with us. If you have a company, and I've worked with a whole lot of them before. Where safety has not been part of the culture for a long time, they were, you know, good old boys, and they did things their way forever. But you know, companies grow, and they become more corporate, and they're not a mom and pop anymore. And so you have more rules and regulations. But you take some of the people that have been there for a long time, and whether it's a, a new hire that goes onto a job where the supervisor isn't very safety conscious mm-hmm. then that new hire is also not going to be that way right. and and if you try to go into that environment and you try to change people's minds it's really really difficult and so when we are when I'm working with a company you know I'm typically working from the top down we're working with you know VP of safety or mm-hmm. risk management and one of the things that we share with them is, is if you guys don't make this a priority and you don't talk about it a lot and you don't go down and with the, with the foot soldiers, you don't show that you're willing to participate in this and you're doing the stretching and you're mm-hmm. encouraging people to have good body mechanics out on the floor, whatever the case might be. If the guys, if the employees don't see buy-in, true mm-hmm. buy-in from the people at the top. They're never gonna do it, never gonna do it. And even when they do see that, if the company has been around a long time and you, you have a lot of employees that have been there for a long time, your ability to change their behaviors is extremely limited. Now, as new people come in, and and they immediately see that we are safety minded, and these are like non-negotiables. These are things that we do. We do our stretching. We do our safety belts. We do our you know whatever the case might be. If they come into the situation and they see that from the get go, it's much easier to stay that way. But if you're trying to change somebody's behavior that's been there
0: for any decent amount of time, it's tough sledding to try to change that. So when you look at the different industries that you guys provide. Um consultation for, like which industries stick out the most? is like, this one needs, this industry needs the most work because they're so far behind on time.
2: Probably the two industries that we work with the most would be trucking and transportation for one and part of that is just transportation is just such an unhealthy lifestyle you know so these over the road drivers that is just if you don't if you're not really mindful about it it is such an unhealthy lifestyle and that's just for the guys that do over the road now when you have guys that do over the road and they're doing some of their own unloading so you know you drive for two or three four hours then you hop out and you're having to help unload your own trailer and cart some of the stuff inside you know that makes it even worse and so you you combine a, a very typically unhealthy lifestyle with some very, you know, extremely physically demanding work, that is a horrible combination. Um, and then part of what makes it worse right now with the trucking industry is that there is such a need to, to fill seats. Every mm-hmm. trucking company in the world is dying to hire people right now. So mm-hmm. when, when you get to the point where you're hiring anything with a pulse, Right. You're going to bring some people in that are going to get injured. I mean, that's just the bottom line. So, trucking is is probably our most one of the one of the more difficult industries to change right now. I would say the other one would probably be warehousing. Um, lots of heavy lifting, lots of very ret- repetitive activity, mm-hmm. um, and especially in situations where you have people that are getting paid by piecework. So, the the underlying message, even if it's never discreetly spoken is that the faster you work the more money you're gonna make that that always just makes for a bad situation The, the first thing that goes out the window is body mechanics and I'm just gonna start heaving boxes around I'm not gonna you know lift with my legs I'm gonna yank this up with my back I'm gonna twist while I'm throwing this onto a pallet and it's extremely repetitive by the end of the day there's there's just a lot of room for injuries to take place and you know not saying anything about that specific industry per se, but when jobs are not really, you know, when it's not a high paying job, times the individual employees are just a little bit like they're disposable, and if, mm-hmm. if you get hurt on the job, we just replace you with another piece of equipment, we'll throw somebody else in here. So uh, sometimes that makes for a, a not a very healthy environment. So I'd say those are probably the top two, trucking and warehousing right now.
1: I don't want to make this all about my husband, but he interviewed for a warehousing job last year. Big warehousing company, we all know their name. Required for him to get the job was committing to 12 hours a day, five days a week.
2: Oh yeah.
1: How in the heck is somebody supposed to function in in that capacity in a healthy way? I mean, it's just physically and mentally just impossible.
2: It really is. in a situation like that, it, it becomes almost a when rather than an if you're going to get injured. I mean, if, if you're working lots of 12 hour days, and a lot of times, I mean, I, we work with companies that have gone from 12.5s to 12 or 612s to 712s sometimes. I talked with a guy just the other day who had gone 59 days without a day off. Wow! Oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean, so and and then companies get upset that somebody has an expensive injury, and you're like, well, what what did you think was going to happen? Mm -hmm. So part of that, you know, obviously this is some of what's driving automation in the warehousing industry and in all industries. But the more you take out the human component, the less injuries you're going to have. But there's always going to be a place where you've got to have people in there doing some work. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that go on in those industries that you just kind of shake your head and you go, well, you know, what do you think your injury information is going to look like if you work your people like this?
1: Mm
0: -hmm. So let's circle um, circle back to the transportation industry, your average truck driver over the road. Um, What from your standpoint what are cautions that a company can take as far as so if i'm a, if i'm a over the road truck driving company i've got 50 power units you know 40 drivers what type of steps can i take to minimize my risk of work pay, workplace injuries well going right
2: off of my own script here start correctly you, you you hire people who can do the job. So, with a lot of the companies that we work with, um, whether it be trucking or or any other heavy industry, you can have all the ergonomics and engineering in place that is possible. But if you bring somebody in who just physically cannot do the job, they're going to get injured. So, once you have all your ergonomics in place, then you know a, a thing like we do with the with the pre-hire testing, so making sure that those people that you've brought on are physically able to do the job, that's a good start. But then once you have somebody, just because you know that they can do the job doesn't mean that they are going to continue to do it safely. So specifically with trucking, mm-hmm. and Rhonda, you, you may remember probably a year ago now, I put out five or six blogs, articles about, you know, how to keep your your drivers healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of that was driven by the pandemic because we saw in this industry a couple of really unfortunate things. One, this was an essential industry. And so while some other companies were being shut down and, and other whole occupations almost were being shut down, truckers were not. And so you had people that were laid off from other lines of work and they're looking around and going, well, I know I can get a job as a, as a driver." And driver demand was increased because a lot of the driving schools were shut down. Mm-hmm. So, driving schools in the United States typically, typically ship out about 300,000 students per year or drivers per year. Well, a bunch of the driving schools were shut down during the pandemic. So, now you have a, a, a huge deficit of drivers because you're not getting them out of the schools you have people who are desperately looking for a job and so they're applying and so you have people that have either never done this work before or they've been in some sedentary position and they just think well heck you know I was a driver 20 years ago I'm gonna go try to do that again Mm -hmm. so you're bringing people into the workplace who haven't done it in a long time they're immediately getting thrown into this you know and, and if you guys all remember from you know what's been going on for the last two years just the the shipping demands were insane mm-hmm. And so you have people working really long hours and we get back to that whole idea of a really unhealthy lifestyle. You're sitting in a seat for 8 10 hours a day. You're you're not stopping to have a good meal. You're grabbing crud off of a, you know, you know, stopping at the 7-11 and getting something bad to eat. You're drinking a six-pack a day of Pepsi or Coke. Um, so we, we put out a whole list of things about making sure that you're taking in proper nutrients and you can get that. You you don't have to stop at mom's house to get good food. You can Mm -hmm. get good food on the road. Mm -hmm. You just have to be a little bit more selective. Making sure that you're getting adequate rest, making sure you're, you know, getting a little bit of exercise. And and we, I think we wrote a couple of them of, here's a bunch of exercises Mm -hmm. that you can do just walking around your truck. You don't need a gym. You don't need anything except for maybe your truck and some asphalt around you. So between rest, proper nutrition, proper hydration, exercise... And then we wrote one that was about stress, like mental acuity, like what are you doing to take care of yourself mentally on the road when, you know, there's pressure to get a run done, you're not sleeping very well, you know, you're worried about getting a paycheck. Don't let that build up until you have a crack. Like make sure that you're Mm -hmm. addressing those things ahead of time. And how do you recommend they address them? Find somebody nice like Rhonda to speak with.
1: (laughs) 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 Or we've talked about this before, Bruce, and, i talked with Trucker Tools about this. I put some articles out last year for their drivers. The importance of practicing gratitude, journaling, taking up a hobby, maybe photography. If you're in a detention situation, having like a game or a book or something to do to let go of some of this, just being more present, like noticing your emotions, how you're feeling and being aware of the fact that. You have no control of your current situation, but you absolutely have control about how you manage your, your thoughts and your actions in that moment. You can take it and, and bitch and complain and get frustrated and then raise your blood pressure and then eat crappy things, or you can just take a breath step outside your truck, take in the air, snap some Uh pictures, you know, paint, do whatever, call a friend, something, or, you know, take that time to mindfully eat and drink and nourish your body with healthy things. It's really, you know, it goes back to really anybody, regardless of what your profession is, prioritizing self-care and believing in it and investing in yourself and regardless of what somebody else may tell you, just be mindful that, every single action that each one of us take every single day i mean practicing spirituality as well you know just being Uh grateful for the blessings it really does change the whole trajectory of our lifespan and either can accelerate our risk factors or decelerate our risk factors so that we're enjoying life as best as we can despite the continued struggles and challenges um, and modeling that behavior for others too as you mentioned justin i think that's really really super important it starts with the top you know sometimes you know you have to allow yourself to be vulnerable as a leader and say hey you know what i was having some mental health issues i had to use our eap program talk about some of the struggles i'm having in my life with my relationships or what have you and and yeah you know what i ate pretty shitty yesterday you know right there's a reason
2: i feel like this yeah
1: so you know that's why I'm sluggish today and just I think showing folks that we all all of us are the same we all have the same struggles our wellness and our mental physical state it's a continuum sometimes we're going to feel great we're going to have and we're going to maybe respond in a more helpful way and some days if we're not mindful you know we may not respond in the most helpful way but we want to limit that as much as possible and and leadership can really help drive right. some of those i, behavioral I think changes. trying
2: to impress upon people that they are empowered to change how they feel um one of my favorite sayings and this this is from our, our church leaders but he said the joy we feel has little to do with the circumstances of our lives and everything to do with the focus of our lives mm-hmm. um Completely going from just that inward, like, oh, my life is crappy and I don't like this job so much and I'm fighting with my wife and blah, 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 to concentrating or or focusing on things that do bring you joy. Mm -hmm. And so I, I guess empowering people with the knowledge that you can change how you feel. Now, that doesn't mean that you have the ability to take care of, like, solve all of your own problems Mm -hmm. or that you can snap your fingers and make everything hunky-dory. But it does, I think, impress upon people that I have to be the steward of my own well-being. And part of that is reaching out to other people. If, if I know that I'm in a bad spiral, then it's my responsibility to you know put that hand out and say, I need a little bit of help. Because sometimes, no matter how concerned you are with somebody, it's very hard to see those signs. Mm-hmm. So we can be available and, and hopefully most companies have somebody that's available to help. But at some point, that employee or that person has to reach out and say, Hey, I would like some help. So
1: I love that. That was my so, soapbox for the day. Yeah, I love that. You know, I've spoken with Bruce, my husband and I really have focused this year on one of our goals is our spiritual health and really fostering that and kind of echoing off what you just said there, Justin, so beautifully. We have everything within us that we need to go about our journey and transition in helpful ways. And knowing that and coming to this awareness that there are some things that we are very much empowered to control, hope, faith, and finding the little things like in the morning, just getting up, watching a sunrise or looking at a flower or being grateful for the opportunity to just be today here in the moment um, and not ruminating on previous Issues that maybe we had when we pull up to a certain location expecting, oh, this guy was a jerk. He's going to be a jerk again. This is going to right. the whole the next half hour is going to be age me or the way, you know, <laughs> the way we frame it. And go in with a smile, and maybe we say hello, and maybe we take it from a place of compassion. You know, this guy maybe he's dealing with some stress, or this woman, I should say, they're dealing with some stresses in their life, and maybe that's why they are acting the way they are. It's not about me; it's about them. And what can I do in this moment so I can control my emotions and my behaviors that um, are showcasing the best of the blessings bestowed upon me here in the now.
2: Right, and this is a very two-sided coin. So you know. There, there is personal responsibility for minding your, your own health, mental health and physical health. But there's also, and again, this is a conversation that we have with executives at times that the more you voice concern for your employees and show that the the more you show that we're actively trying to keep you healthy Hmm. we want you to be happy doing this job we want this to be a job that you would refer your friend to when when employees can see that it serves several purposes but if you're looking at it from a completely capitalist pig point of view, the happier and healthier healthier your employees are, the more revenue they generate. Mm-hmm. And not because we're not trying to sound like so cold that we're just trying to do it for revenue, but if mm-hmm. you're really concentrating on your employee health, both physical and mental, your company is going to do way better off. Mm-hmm. You're going to your, your budget is gonna look much, much healthier if your employees are healthy. If you have employees that are unhappy, that are constantly worried about losing their job, that are constantly worried about being injured, uh, that bottom line starts to get really, really tight because it seriously affects people's ability to produce on the job. I don't, and I don't care what it is, the product, whether that's okay. miles driven or product boxed or whatever the case might be. Um, a happy and healthy workforce produces a lot more revenue than an unhappy workforce, yeah,
1: it also helps with retention,
2: oh, completely.
1: And all that time and effort of training a new employee, the recruiting process, I mean, it's just yeah. I mean, if you just envision like a company that you know, supports health and well-being for their employees don't you just want to work there they don't even have to have maybe a marketing budget as you mentioned like word of mouth means so much and you can tell if it's just lip service as well bruce and i just did an episode our last episode which dropped this morning actually was all about workplace wellness programming Mm -hmm. um, and how that really does especially today make a difference in the workforce and being flexible and, and hearing your team doing a survey on what needs they have, whether it's financial well-being, physical well-being, emotional, social, spiritual, what have you, and catering a culture that fosters support for making sure there are resources in place to support the entire person.
0: Right, right. You know, going back to to just driver health and good practices that they can follow, one of my favorite drivers, you know, he, if I were to be a truck driver, I would, I would do it his way. Um, he was very mindful of his, his health, both physical and mental. So he was a member of, uh, 24 hour fitness and he planned his routes based on where the gyms were. Uh, (laughs) He also, he ate extremely healthy. So he had a crock pot in his truck and he would go to host and he would be driving down the road and by the time he would deliver, it would be done. So um, if he ever got stuck in a situation where he had like long, to, you know, a bunch of detention, bunch of, he would get out and he would go for a walk. The guy was very active. He knew that being, you know yeah, being cooped up in a truck all day and then sleeping and then getting back and you're, you're back in the truck, you're driving again, like that just creates such a unhealthy lifestyle. And I think that's where obesity comes into play. I think that's where injuries come into play because you're sedentary for so long. And when you do need to come, you know, when you do need those quick reflexes to avoid a wreck, if you're not taking care of your body, you're not going to have those reaction times.
2: And that could be a whole nother episode. You know, (laughs) I I wrote something, again, probably a year ago about nuclear verdicts against sucking companies. And that was part of what I wrote about was the, there's research out there that shows not only you know, if you've had a heart attack or you've obviously, if you've had a stroke in the past, it increases your chance of having an accident while driving. But even if you have higher risk of um, heart disease or some of these other health, re- health related diseases, you mm-hmm. um, that your risk of being in an, in an accident like that goes up exponentially. So it behooves companies to have employees that are looking after their own health and any more gosh, those nuclear verdicts that you're seeing, companies get sued for $200 million, $400. There was one recently that was more than a billion dollars. Oh, my gosh. So, I mean, it's ridiculous.
1: Just from a, um, our evolution, thinking how we've evolved as a species and our workforce, if you go back to like the 17, 1800s, nobody was sitting in a truck driving across the country for X amount of hours. You know, nobody was eating a bunch of processed foods or consuming energy drinks. Our bodies were meant to move and have periods of rest too. So the demands that we're putting on the workforce, I don't think we necessarily think that way from an evolutionary standpoint. So even sitting in these offices, as brokers for 14, 15 hours. That's not the way that we biologically are made. So I'd be curious to see if companies start thinking a long-term, as we know, Justin, where our physical bodies now are able to heal more readily because of modern technology and advancement advancements in research and medicine. We're more mindful of the fact of how important it is to move our bodies, you know, and whatever. And there are technologies out there, different ways of monitoring our behaviors, different devices that we're using. So now we're living longer. And then we've been conditioned, I guess, to think, oh, retirement, 65. (laughs) But we're living so much longer now. I would be curious to get executives in the C-suites perspectives on maybe we don't need to work our employees 40 hours a week maybe retirement isn't going to be 65 if you look at countries or groups of populations that live the longest that live to like 90s 100s in the blue zones those folks at 90 years old are still working but they're working three hours at a time different days of the week and then resting and there's a more balanced way of living. And retirement, that's not even in the vocabulary. We know that that social interaction that we get from the job caring for our health and well-being, that's just going to help us maybe rethink how we look at the workplace instead of putting, you have to work this amount of hours or or just reallocating the jobs in a way where maybe there's more support so we're not putting those physical demands. I mean, can you imagine just showing up for a warehouse where you know you only have to work four hours? Mm -hmm. Ooh, let's go, you know? (laughs) I think
2: there you're going to have to find some extremely forward-thinking executives mm -hmm. because it's been, you know, hammered into us for so long that this these are the hours you work you work Mm -hmm. 40 hours a week or you work 60 hours a week this is exactly what you have to do to be profitable Mm -hmm. Uh, it takes somebody who is very very willing to get outside of the box to start looking at what are some other formulas that we could put Mm -hmm. into place that will still allow us to be a profitable company and look nobody's naive enough to say that Mm -hmm. you know you can make all of these changes because a company has to turn a profit or else you know then everybody's unemployed but what are the changes that can be made that support employee health, both physical and mental, that allow people to, you know, come to work happy, like mm-hmm. feel like this is something that I wanna be doing. Now there are a lot of jobs that it, it's it would be very difficult to do that. I mm. you know, installed sewer main for a long time and there's never gonna be anything fun about having to break into a live sewer main to make a tie-in. That is not that's not happy work. But, for the most part, you know, there are things that can be found in every job that can make it at least satisfying, Mm -hmm. uh, that can make it something that I want to get up in the morning and I want to come to this job. Um, But I think it, it does take some very, very out of the box thinking to start looking at what we have on the table right now and how can we change that to make it so somebody can last in this industry longer and it's not just you know you're a tool to be used and and when the tool is worn out we throw it away and we buy another tool
1: that's where my brain is like these really physically taxing jobs that we're expecting more and more and more out of people and people are living longer and longer we're seeing more injuries we're the most unhealthy we've ever been people in their 30s and 40s now are having chronic disease and issues and so there's something that we're doing here and since we're spending so much of our time working it just seems like smart thinking to me right or maybe just looking at so if someone's driving a truck that role could be split up so where they're not actually sitting in the truck there are other things they can do besides the actual driving do you know what i mean like just rethinking the way these roles are fulfilled and the demand, based right. upon the demand. or
2: teaming people up to do, like, team driving instead of, right. you know, single driving all mm-hmm. the time.
1: Anyway, sorry um, about my ramble. <laughs> all
0: good. But Justin, I wanna, I'm going to give you kind of the last few minutes here to kind of give any last actionable thoughts, steps people could take, uh, how to reach you, um, if they've got questions or want to learn more, uh, but kind of just give you the last few minutes just to, to kind of get your last words in. Uh, you know, I think
2: overall, first off, thank you very much for having me on here. I I love talking with people who are interested in this stuff because not that many people are extremely interested in this stuff that I talk about. Um, So it's been fun being on here and talking with other like-minded people. But I think, you know, typically the process has to go from both ends, like we've talked about today. Realize that there has to be employee education, but I think the part that maybe I work on a lot and maybe is not as popular as educating executive level people, Mm -hmm. that these are things that you can do with your company to have a healthier workforce and also to be able to turn a better profit. The truth is you have to spend a little bit of money to make money, but with everybody that we work with, we show a a really good return on investment when they implement the ideas that we have out there, and that is you you hire a healthier workforce, less injuries on the jobs, less downtime, less indirect costs, better morale on the job site. And as you, you know, combine that with the other things that we talked about, you know, with being a little bit more forward thinking and about you know, showing your employees that I'm actually interested in you, not just in what you produce for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as, I think as executive level folks, as they can concentrate on that and try to make those changes, uh, I think that has a huge impact on a, on a company. So you educate the employees, yes, but I think that there has to be a little bit of change of thinking with the executive level folks as well. And as for contacting me, I mean, if anybody has questions about this, you can go to the Ergo Science website. That's just ergoscience.com. All of our contact information is on there. There's also tons and tons of information uh, articles that were written for employers that they can you know, read about how to prevent injuries on the job site, what physical abilities testing looks like, would that company be a good fit for physical abilities testing, and typically that's going to be if you have really physically demanding jobs, you have lots of OSHA recordables, you have lots of turnover. Those are gonna be the people that, that the physical abilities testing can help. And and even if somebody doesn't feel like they're in a position to start something like that, but they just want some ideas, I'm always happy to talk about this stuff, because like I said, not, not that many people are interested in it. It's an important topic.
1: It is, if anything, just exploring ways to make our workplace a healthier space to be in to prevent injuries and, and different types of challenges that impact well-being is something, surely, I think, if anything, COVID has taught us to be more mindful um, because a lot of things are preventable, even in times when, you know, some things are outside of our control. So thank you so much, Justin, for your time. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) And everyone listening, thank you so much for joining us here again for Work Life 360. Be well.
0: Take care, everyone. That wraps
1: up this episode of Work Life 360.
0: Thanks for joining us. Make sure to check out all of our other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes, any links, any articles that we've referenced in today's episode. We appreciate your time and ask you to send any feedback to worklife360podcast at gmail.com. We value your time and we're here for you. Contact me directly if you'd like to learn more about me coming to run a free sales training workshop for your team. Follow me on LinkedIn or check out my website at Bruce Palmier, SWC.com.
1: If you'd like to learn more about me or have a free health consult, check me out on LinkedIn or visit my website at PlanningTheSeedsForHealthyLiving.com. Thanks for joining us.